Here's to a new year, new beginnings and the return of the Happy Slam, the Australian Open 2024. I'm your host, Charlie Deer, and I'm joined by tennis handicapper and Ben expert Drew Dinsick to run the rule over both the ATP and the WTA singles events to help you find value in the markets. Welcome to Advantage Betters. So, hello, Drew. We have a new year and yet again another Australian Open. How uh, how's the new year started for you and um, how have you seen things from a tennis perspective? Oh, this time of year is always interesting because my fall is so dominated by American football. Um, and that's winding down now. We only have 13 mm-hmm. games left. Um, I'm betting a lot of NBA and now like yeah, sincerely. I saw you on switching. one of the streams of Rob. <laughs> yeah, we were, uh, we were chatting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Rob is the pinnacle under the pinnacle banner now too, which is quite cool. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the, uh, we're in the playoffs. Uh, and, uh, now it's, it's time to really, you know, switch gears and, I love the Australian Open. I love the start of the season. There are a couple fun, interesting wrinkles and, and handicapping angles that I think you can actually count on year over year for this event. Uh, the Australian Open, if you did not know, um, this kicks off the kind of the tennis calendar in terms of slams. Uh, and really it, it falls extremely early in the overall calendar. Um, you know, t- you know, players tend to play hard into the tour finals mm-hmm. if they are, you know, comp- you know, if anyone that has realistic, um, uh, expectations of winning a slam is playing into the tour finals. Uh, and that ends in November and you really only have about a month to kind of regroup and recharge your batteries. Some of the players elect to, you know, do exhibition events all throughout the month of December instead of just regrouping, which I've never really understood. And I felt like that has kind of steered some players away from success at the Australian Open and in the Australian swing in general. Um, but uh, we here, uh, you know, kind of have a, a couple of very brief warm up events. You had the United Cup last week, uh, which was interesting. Uh, Djokovic, we saw him in some questionable form, I would say. Um, and then, uh, you know, right into, uh, you know, a yep. week of four the Aussie Open. We're going to get a draw here this week. Uh, and uh, honestly, it looks like a really, really fun tournament. Um, both the men's and women's, I think, are going to be really, really competitive. You have some big names at the top who are in form, who are going to have very good seating. Uh, so in a lot of years, uh, you know, we kind of look at, you know, so, well, h- how how broad is the field of realistic winners, right? Are we talking about like 20? Are we talking about 30 like there's been some wa slams where that's been the case that is no longer the case as we've really seen the cream uh rise to the top on the women's tour uh and then uh, i think maybe we made some jokes about wimbledon and uh, the french open like uh you know hey uh, wake me up when we get to alcaraz Djokovic and the tournament effectively starts uh well i think you absolutely have to kind of open your mind to the idea yes. uh sinner breaking through this year you got to open up your mind to the idea that uh, medvedev particularly with these conditions is, is going to be somewhat of a contender. Uh, and so I think rather than just having sort of a two-man race in the uh, on the men's side, um, it does become a question of, am I going against Djokovic and, uh, and who else has a realistic chance? But um, uh, it's, uh, it's set up well for a, a pretty entertaining tournament. And it's, it's just a funny kind of uh, uh, clash where you have guys who, you know, really just players who are, haven't played a lot of tennis and then conditions that are extremely fast, uh, which makes it kind of a, a funky uh, thing of, uh, you know, kind of figuring out how to get your game up to speed, at, you know, as quickly as possible to be competitive. Well, that's one of the things I was, I was looking at. You see, um, 
I believe that Yannick Sinner, Carlos Alcaraz and, and Medvedev haven't really played in a many sort of these tune-up events before the the for the, before the Aussie Open. So, um, like you say, it's like some of the players might be coming in warm, but are they going to be realistic um, sort of title contenders? And, and as you say, is this is this cream going to rise to the top? Um, just before we sort of delve into it, because I want to talk about, you know, obviously say as some of the form and, and some of the trends that you, you may have seen, which might be significant. But I thought I'd round up a few players that are sort of going to be absent from this tournament. Some of the players that are going to be returning from injury and things like that. So the big one is Rafa Nadal, who uh, I think announced that he was not going to be compete yesterday. Um, I think it was that injury that is just um, just won't heal enough the hip, um, which is very obviously. I think there's a lot of outpouring of sort of um, from all the all the players um, consult, uh, consoling him, but he won't be there, and neither will. Nick Kyrgios, who obviously one of the um, home, I wouldn't say favourites, but well, in terms of for the tournament, but he's a home favourite in terms of when he's in Melbourne and um, especially that doubles with Kokonakis um, a year or so ago was um, it was great to see. And then over in the WTA events, there'll be no Madison Keys, Petra Kvitova, Bianca Andreescu, um, but we will be seeing a return of the likes of Caroline Wozniacki, the big one being uh, Naomi Osaka um, back in the fold, and as well as Angelique Kerber and Emma Raducanu got a last sort of minute entry in the last week or so to come to uh, into the main draw. So that's sort of where we're at in terms of who's in and who's out. But so as I say, it, it does feel like that United Cup, especially sort of... Um, I was surprised how quickly that sort of started and um, it, it did creep up on me. But um, from these last few events, we've had Brisbane, Adelaide, Auckland, to name a few. Um, what have you seen in terms of sort of players' stocks that have risen um, or any sort of prominent indicators of form or players who who who, who might cause, um, who might who might be going in with um, in a rich vein of form? Sure. So a lot to unpack there to start with the uh, Nadal. Um, <clears throat> didn't really, you know, didn't really yeah. move the needle a ton for me in terms of the outright market to see him go. I mean, as a fan, I want to see him play. I assumed he was treating this as an opportunity to build up ranking points because like my expectation of him at this point in his career is that he's going to make one more go of it at the French Open. And then that's probably it. Uh, and you want to see him in peak form for that. And so if playing the Australian Open meant yeah. that he would either carry an in injury into the spring and then not be in peak form for the French Open, then by all means, like take the time off, get right. Like we want you good for clay. Um, and I think him, you know, stepping out actually probably this is going to sound weird and maybe even insane. I think it hurts Djokovic because Nadal is the kind of player that was going to probably knock out some of the higher various variants young players in the middle portion of the tournament, right? Third, fourth round. Like he's a guy you could count on yeah. to beat a youngster who might be a little starstruck. Oh, I'm playing Rafa Nadal, right? Like he's, he definitely has like the, the wily and the <laughs> nature and the experience to pop some of those guys. And now if those guys end up in this, you know, deeper in this tournament, now they're a little bit more of a threat to Djokovic potentially. And, you know, I'm, I'm circling guys like, like Ben Shelton, uh, you know, guys who, uh, you know, have like a, a ceiling that we don't really know where it is. 
Um, Holger Rune uh, maybe qualifies to a degree in that uh, regard. Um, uh, you know, certainly Casper Ruud is kind of an interesting one to, for me uh, as we look at this uh, field. But um, you know, it's 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 going to be. Um, it's still going to be contested by the guys at the top. Uh, and you're right. We haven't seen Alcaraz. We haven't seen Sinner. Last time we saw those guys play, you know, meaningful tennis was November. Um, they played well, but not well enough to beat Djokovic at the tour finals. Uh, they did do some damage though. Uh, Djokovic, uh, for what yeah. it's worth. Um, I don't like, I don't entirely know why he switched gears in terms of his approach. It felt like for. 80% of the 2023 calendar, Djokovic was singularly focused on slams, like nothing else mattered, right? He wasn't even really entering some of the other kind of um, meaningful tournaments. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like he decided at hey, end of the season, I'm just going to go absolute foot <laughs> to the pedal, no, concede nothing. He wins Paris and then turns around and wins the tour finals. And honestly, that is problematic i think because he's he's an older player like and and he was uh you know he was playing uh three set matches in paris he was playing three set matches in the tour finals and he picked up what looks like a non-trivial wrist injury to me uh his form in the united cup i thought was very questionable he had uh you know a dominant win in round one but it was you know against uh you know much lesser competition uh and then um came through uh and had to you know kind of you know, he made a little bit of a meal of his match with uh, Jiri Lacheka before uh, ultimately coming through six one seven six seven six one, um, and then you know third match against an informed Alex Demonauer, you know a guy a player who's on the come up, who's kind of you know had, definitely has the potential for home crowd support in Australia. Demonauer destroyed him. Like it was not a very competitive match. And there were specific signs in that match that you can kind of question, like, is his, is his wrist okay? Like, is he going to be able to, uh, handle seven best of five matches in two weeks, which is a very physically demanding toll. And I, I honestly am willing to kind of swing here. You guys have the yes, no market up and Djokovic is a healthy favorite here is yes price is 197. I'm into this no 180, 1847. I, I think that is a realistic, uh, you know, shot on the field. I don't have a strong sense of who exactly does, uh, win this title if Djokovic goes out early, but the chances of Djokovic pulling out because of the injury, I think are non-zero. Um, and just in general, the injury affecting him to the tune of not being able to come up mm -hmm. with, uh, kind of a key performance. Cause, you know, a lot of the times, like earlier in tournaments, he's not really playing you know, he's not, he's not, you know, um, at like a hundred percent level. He wants to try to build into a tournament typically. And there are definitely moments you can point to in some of his title runs in round three, round four, where, you know, he's up against a challenger who's having a, a you know, a, a nice run of form. They're, they're playing well. And, uh, you know, he's down Oh two all of a sudden, and he has to fight through and win three straight sets. Well, if he's dealing with some, some injury concerns, and if he's, you know, he's a little bit out of gas because he played so hard so late into the season last year, then I think that really opens up the door for a uh, potential upset. So um, Djokovic being kind of on the outside of what is typically a tournament that he literally just, he, he, he owned like who shouldn't mince words. Like he owns the Australian open. Like he, this is his tournament. Um, these are his conditions. Yeah. He is the most phenomenal returner, 
uh, in the game that the game has ever seen. Uh, and so in these very fast, hardcore conditions, he is, uh, like, he is like uniquely, um, positioned to, to be, you know, the toughest out. So, you know, I'm not trying to say that he doesn't, you know, he, he's going to lose, but I think that the price, uh, being around, uh, evens right now that he is the ultimate winner of this tournament, considering his form, I, I take exception to, um, Alcaraz certainly can beat him. We know this Alcaraz can beat him in fast conditions at slam level. We know this. We saw it last year at Wimbledon. Uh, and if Alcaraz takes him down in this one, I will not be shocked. Yep. Uh, Yannick Sinner is kind of the most interesting player to talk about because Sinner is like, if you just kind of take, uh, you know, hold and break percentages, if you take service points, one return point, one percentages, uh, and you synthesize like, well, how is this player playing, um, you know, on hard courts over the last six months? Sinner is almost the same as Djokovic, if not a little bit better, which is kind of fascinating because, uh, you know, he's, you, we know he has the skills. He's never broken through. These are the conditions that should, uh, you know, kind of, uh, give him the opportunity to, to have a breakthrough. And, uh, I think 2024, one of the big things that tennis would like to see is someone else step up and win a slam besides Alcaraz. Uh, and Sinner is the kind of the obvious heir, you know, uh, you know, heir yep. apparent, uh, to being that guy. And and so um, this is a huge opportunity for him. Uh, we, we haven't seen him play since, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, since things got started back up. And I actually, I understand that. And I agree with that because he's locked into the four seed. So he's going to have a premier seed. He's going to have his own quarter here. He's not going to have to face either Alcaraz or Djokovic until a semifinal at the earliest. And I think that affords him uh, a pretty clean opportunity to tune up at the early stages of this tournament. So if I had to take one price right now in the men's market, uh, Sinner at, uh, at 6.6 uh, is, is kind of the one that stands out the most obviously to me. And I know it's, it's a gamble because he has never done it before. And you know, it's, it's always uh, a little, I'm all, I'm usually the last person who's like, I'm going to bet on a guy to win his first slam. This is happening this time. Like that's, that's a, that's a, it's a fool's errand many times very often. Um, but I, I hold Sinner right now at rating than I have even Alcaraz. The only reason then you would tip Alcaraz over Sinner would be because of Alcaraz's slam mm -hmm. pedigree. Um, but uh, the conditions and, and really what we've seen from Alcaraz over the last six months is, I'm assuming uh, what we've seen from Sinner over the last months is enough for me to believe he can either knock out Djokovic in the semifinals or take down Alcaraz in the finals. So I think uh, ultimately Sinner is your uh, your bet at price. Uh, and uh, if you don't want to you know, kind of single a, a specific guy, I think taking no against Djokovic Djokovic in the uh, yes no market is a fair play as well. So so some uh, yeah already some big calls there. Um, yeah, that's the thing when you picked up on Djokovic. I think he's won is it ten Australian Opens? Um, Might as well be hundred. In, yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, I think Sinner won the most improved player of um, of twenty twenty three. So he was the one that everyone was speaking about at the back end of last year, and does feel like. He, I think he, he beat Djokovic, didn't he, in the in the round robin of the uh, ATP finals. But then Djokovic, his just pedigree and his real like resilience and 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 what he's all about to just come back through and 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 beat him when it really matters. One thing, just quickly before we we really properly delve into that ATP market, the men's market is. I wondered what you thought. Um, we just like the the last Grand Slam was U.S. Open hard court 
This is Australian Open hard courts, obviously very different sort of climates and areas. What do you think are going to be the different conditions um, going here in Melbourne? Mm. Well, um, the US Open court speed is is noticeably slower than the Australian, for sure. Um, and it's, uh, it's a little bit more of a leveling speed. Uh, it kind of opens the door for players who are more comfortable on clay. Um, the U S open, um, is also, it was, it is okay. typically, it's typically just as hot. It's typically humid. It's very, it's a very tough, uh, environment, uh, you know, in late summer, uh, in New York. And, um, they were given a little bit of a reprieve last year because there was enough rain that they had the roof closed a lot. Um, and so that made it kind of a, a, a little bit of a, um, controlled environment. Uh, it wasn't as taxing on the players as it normally is. Uh, Aus the Australian Open, uh, you know, kind of beyond just being, um, a very, very fast court, which, you know, tends to lend itself to the players who have stronger service, uh, tends to, you know, kind of, you, 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 you would see a player who has, say, something like 70%, um, you know, service points won. 30, 40% return points one, um, you know, that those numbers will tip to like 80, 20, right? Um, just because the court speed is that much uh, faster. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it makes it, uh, makes the matches, you know, a little bit more dependent on tiebreak. Um, it makes your, particular kind of rhythm on serve more, uh, uh, you know, important. Like if you're not, um, able to vary your style of service where you're placing the ball, uh, and getting it in, uh, on first serve, you know, relatively high first serve percentage, you're vulnerable on a given day. Um, and you know, it's, there are certain players who tend to play here very well. Um, of the men, the one that really stands out, uh, as you just kind of look at, Results on tour compared to results at the Australian Open is, is Stefanos Sissipas. Sissipas is typically a guy that is just, uh, he's a tough guy to pin down in terms of where he's going to perform well and, and on what surface and what conditions. But for whatever reason, and it may be just the fact that there is a huge Greek support, uh, you know, fan wise in uh, Melbourne, but uh, he typically does perform quite well at the Australian Open. Now, he has been uh, a little bit of a mess, uh, I guess, is kind of a polite way to put it. Uh, in you know the last, I guess, really like eleven months, you know, since his run to the uh, finals uh, at the um, yeah. uh, Australian Open last year, I just haven't really seen anything from him that has suggested he's got uh, another gear, you know, uh, an opportunity to uh, to make some noise here. He made a couple of decent runs on clay Barcelona. He made it to the finals before losing and he made it to the uh, quarterfinals in Madrid, semifinals in Rome, quarterfinals at Roland Garros. But, you know, since then it's been very, very quiet from him. Uh, I don't know if he's quietly dealing with an injury or, or what the, what the story is, but I've kind of written him off for this tournament. Sorry. I was going to say, didn't he have to pull out quite late of the, of the tour finals? Um, and there was a little yeah. bit of yes. yeah. um, discussion over why he pulled out so late and he should have let, that because her cash only had that one game and he could have played yeah. and things like that. Yeah, I, that was uh, that's that's good memory. Uh, that was a, a little bit of a it wasn't a scandal, but it was kind of uh, just poor sportsmanship, I guess, because he realistically was not going to be yeah. able to compete. Um, and I, you know, 
So he's kind of a little bit of a wild card. Does he show up and like he's all of a sudden he's, you know, the form we saw from him last year and he's, you know, kind of popping some of these players uh, who have, you know, grander hopes. Um, maybe uh, his, you know, his seat is going to be seven. So he's going to be relatively highly seated. Uh, he'll, you know, but I, that, that said, like with a seven, with a top eight seed, Sissipas at some point runs into center Medvedev, Alcaraz, or Djokovic uh, at the quarterfinal stage. And then that's probably the end of the road. So Sissipas mm-hmm. probably could clear out the quarter for somebody else before eventually bowing out. But uh, I still still don't hold him in especially high um, mm-hmm. likelihood. Uh, who are like truly informed that have shown it. Um, there are two names uh, who have especially impressed in the year 2024 so far. The first we already mentioned was is Alex Demonauer. He's Australian. He's going to be your 12th seed, I believe. Let me t- yeah, no, excuse me, 10. He's up to 10. He's going to be your 10th seed, so he's going to be relatively highly seeded. Um, he's not a player that I think realistically has chance to win here, um, but he could definitely make some noise and, and potentially spoil somebody's uh, party depending on where he lands in the draw. Uh, similarly, uh, Gregor Dimitrov. Uh, Gregor Dimitrov has played quite well so far uh, in the year 2020. Four. Um, I don't know that he ultimately can put together a nice run of form here, but um, you remember way back in the day when we had, uh, I don't know, maybe say like 2016 or 17. Um, that year, Dimitrov was, I thought, the best player on this surface. This surface does play into his strengths. Uh, and if for whatever reason he just happens to be playing his best tennis right now and he, uh, he catches a lucky break in terms of draw, he could be uh, in the later stages here as well. Um, people in the market in general are quite cold on Casper Rude because he's just hasn't really shown you much in a while. It's just been a while since he's done anything noteworthy. What has happened to Casper Rude? <clears throat> so two years ago, uh, he made the finals at the Roland Garros and he made the finals at the U.S. Open. And he had so many ranking points that he was all of a sudden like getting yeah. like outstanding seeds and just like you know he he was well positioned in every tournament he played more than he ought to have he played a bunch of exhibitions into last year's australian open instead of taking the time the because like i I have a beef with players who do this like where they aren't like respectful of what like an effect like an appropriate schedule is right like you need an opportunity to rest and regroup at some point you can't just play 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 through uh the winter months and expect to be able to you know not have impacts of fatigue you know in january and so uh rude played through last year uh at an aggressive pace uh i don't know why he came into the australian open and he was a joke like it was like he his form was so far off it was it just like eye-opening like wow what happened to this guy um and honestly like that that kind of chased him all throughout the calendar like he never really got a chance to kind of fully regroup uh and find anywhere close to what we saw from him in 2022 i think the fact that he now has had a, a, a true reset um, makes him a, a, a bit more of a, an interesting case for this particular Australian Open. I'm very, very interested to see where he lands. Um, right now, his ELO rating is way down relative to his peak. Uh, right now, his ranking all of a sudden has slipped to where he's going to have to play some good players in order to make a run. But um, it is worth noting he played three warm-up matches at the United Cup, He uh, and he was dominant. He dispatched Greek Spore uh, of the Netherlands in the first match. He absolutely embarrassed Borna Chorch in his second match. Uh, and then he backed that up with a clean, clean defeat of Adrian Manorino in the third match. So um, he, ha- he has shown 
enough for me to be interested in him. Uh, his price in the 52 range, uh, draw depending, I think is worth a, worth a gamble. Um, and cause, you know, at, on any given day, He's good enough to beat the likes of an Alcaraz or a Sinner or a Medvedev for sure. Uh, and he's definitely, you know, with Djokovic potentially ailing from an, a wrist injury, if Rude ends up in Djokovic's quarter, uh, that's going to be a fun match potentially uh, in the later stages of the tournament. So uh, the guys that I would circle beyond the top four uh, in, you know, in, in no particular order are Demonauer. Dimitrov and Rude. Um, everybody else kind of that is sort of in that mix. We mentioned Sissipas. I'm, you know, he, he may be interesting from a match by match standpoint, but I'm not taking any kind of future price on him. I think Rublev is an easy scratch. I think Zverev is an easy scratch. I think Rune is an easy scratch. Uh, her catch scratch. Okay. And maybe the most easy of all, our current 12 seed, Mr. Taylor Fritz. He did, he, he is guilty of the Casper Rude bad decision making from last year where he played through uh, at an aggressive clip and uh, is going to be absolutely gassed heading into this tournament and if he gets popped in round one or round two will not be surprised okay um, and then also someone I wanted to mention or like what who do these sort of top four guys want to sort of avoid in round one or two um, I was looking down at some of the, uh, the the odds down here, and you've got even someone like Sebastian Corda, who beat Medvedev last year. Uh, he made the quarterfinals last year. Um, and even someone like um, Felix Auger-Aliassime, who I think in years gone by when I've been doing this podcast, he's been someone that is mentioned quite a lot. But over the sort of course of the last year to six months, his, his ranking has, has mo- moved down quite a lot. But I always think some some of these guys you just don't want to uh, get in that first or second round because you never know what 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 sort of form they're going to come in with. Yeah, I think that's well said, um, Felix. I mean, there was no player who had a greater drop off in form in twenty twenty three relative to twenty twenty two than Felix. Um, he, but that's it. And I don't know yeah. if his priorities, life, life priorities shifted or something <laughs> where he's not like putting in the time to prepare, uh, or, and, or like just doesn't really care anymore. Um, but that's kind of, like, that's kind of how bad it was that you're asking, you're asking yourself that. Um, and then similarly, uh, you know, Corda is a huge injury risk for like, yeah, you're, you're right. Like Corda is a guy that is he going to be. Uh, you know, is he going to be able to sustain peak form for seven matches, best of five? No. Is he going to be a guy who could potentially stir the pot in round two against a ranked opponent? Absolutely. <laughs> like there's, there's definitely, uh, landmines like that. Uh, I would, uh, I would put both of those guys in that discussion. Um, there's really no one else kind of way down the board that I think, uh, you know, spooks you. Uh, you know, there are the players uh, who kind of, I'm fit interested the upset to see who, mold. how Jack yeah. Draper does. Yeah. Yeah. See, now yeah, I that's a great shout because Draper um like if you were to kind of construct a, a skill set that should succeed here, he's got it, right? Like he's definitely kind of fits the mold of a player who should perform well at the Australian Open. Um he had he's definitely and he's had some high uh he's had some some big moments here. Uh, throughout his, uh, his young career. So, uh, he, uh, you know, suffered from, uh, he was, he was a, a huge, uh, letdown last year due to injury only almost. But, um, he finished the season strong. Yeah. 
he made a run to the finals yeah. at Sofia. Uh, you know, he 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 didn't ultimately take home the title. He lost to Adrian Manorino, which was a bit of a disappointment in the final there. Um, and uh, he's playing at Adelaide right now, uh, having beaten Sebastian Baez like very convincingly recently. Um, and uh, he could come into this one in uh, yeah. a healthy bit of form because Adelaide is there for him to. Basically, he can he can win Adelaide. This he's he's definitely the best player uh, in terms of uh, um, you know op- not the best, but uh, he has a, a very realistic chance of winning that tournament. So uh, Draper is a great great one to keep an eye on. Just before you um, we sort of round up, maybe I know you've mentioned a few of your favoured bets, but we can just round up on that in terms of the men's side. You mentioned about how the, the sort of the hard courts here. They could sort of play where you might have a lot longer games and things like that. Do you do you foresee that some of these maybe top top seeds might have to end up playing five sets a lot quicker than they actually thought they would? Oh man, um, the chaotic nature of super fast hardcore means more tie breaks, and tie breaks are a little bit more inherently random. Right. There are players like Djokovic who have shown a propensity for being able to win tie breaks consistently. Uh, and for those, you know, for that reason, he is able to avoid especially long matches. Um, although I would say that in the back of my head, uh, yes, I think there's, there's a potentially a potential for, um, you know, for more five set matches early on for the good players in this tour just because of the conditions that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. And then what would you sort of say in terms of your, your sort of best bets of the things that you sort of eyed up here on the pinnacle markets that could have a little bit of value in? Yeah, yeah. two heaviest stakes for me. Um, and really the only two full stakes that I've taken are no on Djokovic outright. Uh, and um, yes on, or just outright on uh, on Sinner. Um I think this is Sinner's breakthrough opportunity. What we saw from him to finish last year was uh, was the um, you know it was kind of the perfect way to end the season. I thought uh, for kind of you know priming for a breakout here. Um, he looks fit. He's not carrying any injury right now, and uh, I think ultimately has a high enough ceiling uh, that he could beat Alcaraz or Djokovic. And that's really what you have to have some conviction that the player you're backing is capable of beating those two players in mm-hmm. order to win this title. And Sinner can, so um, he needs to have a little bit of intestinal fortitude. There's definitely some slam matches. He should have won, and he <laughs> he capitulated. Um, but yeah. uh, I yeah. think he's. Uh, I think he's got enough of a feeling to get it done here. So let's go center. Perfect. Perfect. And I thought I'd just mention the other yes, no, we've got on site at the moment is for Carlos Alcaraz. Um, his uh, yes to win the uh, Australian Open is currently at plus three, one eight. And that no is at minus four Oh five. But we, it sounds like, on this podcast, we're fading Alcaraz. He could. It's it's not a sure thing that he's going to come through here. Yeah, my my fair price for him is seven, uh, and he is currently in market at four. So not going to have any Alcaraz in this tournament. <laughs> so I and I, and uh, honestly, like, could I <laughs> not a side of Alcaraz? S- no, and I could I could get caught by surprise, like. um he showed up at Wimbledon with no pedigree on grass and he was the best player at that tournament. Like it was yeah. not a doubt. Right. And so he has, he yeah. has enough of a kind of a yeah. unicorn 
ceiling where he could show up and be the best player like that would that should not surprise any of us and honestly like if we see a couple of matches and he is adapting to the conditions well would i add some i would consider it uh but like i'd like to see what his draw looks like he's he's going to be the um at the at the bottom so if he plays Djokovic, it's not going to be till the final. I'd like to see what the fourth quarter looks like in terms of some of the other kind of big names. If he can avoid, um, if he can avoid, uh, Demon Hour, if he can avoid Dimitrov, if he can avoid, um, who's the other, the other two that I would, I would have a, a little bit of a concern. Uh, really, I guess that's it. If, if Demon Hour and Dimitrov are not in the fourth quarter, I think he's pretty likely your fourth quarter winner. Um, but, uh, I need to see the draw first. I guess Ben Shelton is also worth mentioning in sort of the outsiders who have a chance. Like again, like yeah. just like Jack Draper, Dr- Draper and Ben Shelton are the U.S. and U.K. equivalent of guys who should be competitors at this, t- at this tournament. Uh, if, uh, and, and so I'd like to see Draper, Shelton, Dimitrov, and Demonauer. If all of those guys land outside of Q4, then Alcaraz is probably your likely Q4 winner. There we go. There we go. Should we move things on to the WTA side of things? Um, well, first of all, we've got we've got the top four, which um, has been pretty set for a little while now. Especially that top three of yeah, Iga Swiatek. Uh, the current champion, reigning champion, Arina Sabalenka and Elena Rybakina. And um, over the back end of 2023, uh, a large part down to her US Open win, Coco Goff is our fourth choice favourite at Pinnacle, a plus 762. We will speak about them shortly, but I just thought, who do you think could have a big say in either winning the tournament outside of them for or just stopping one of those top four from from claiming the title Oof, man <clears throat> well i have t- handicapped enough women's slams in my life to know that it's never really as simple as the top of the board um there's always a little bit of weirdness and chaos and surprise mm-hmm. when it comes to women's tennis because you do have players that tend to come out of nowhere like an emiratakanu Right. Like players who just catch fire and like have, they don't know any better. They don't know they're not supposed to uh, win a slam in a given year. And uh, part of the reason that that is the case yeah, yeah, is yeah. the best of three form. It's the best of three. Like, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're having an off day, if Djokovic mm-hmm. in the Australian Open or in a doll at the French, if you're, if you're having a, if you're having a little bit of a slump uh, to start, you lose two. You can still fight back. You can still win in five. Uh, if you're having an off day and you lose two in the women's tour, your tournament is over. Uh, so that adds a little bit of uh, kind of a, a less certainty to the women's side. Um, but I will tell you this. This is the most uh, top-heavy women's tournament that we have had in the last 10 years. Uh, I think actually, I would say going back to like when Serena Williams made up half of the pool, right? Like this is, this is, that's, that was probably not 10 years ago, but we'll say like five or six years ago where Serena like had like 50% equity at like Wimbledon or whatever. Um, but now like the, the amount (laughs) of, the amount of equity that's eaten up by Iga, uh, uh, Sabalenka and Rabakana for this tournament is bigger than I've had for any three players in a really long time. Um, and I put Coco as a clear fourth outsider, actually. Um, her US Open was magical. It was fun. It was very cool to be a part of. It was emotional to watch. Yeah. 
and her entire U.S. swing was just it was a it was, she was a different player. Like uh, her first half of twenty twenty three. It was miserable. Yeah. There were times where you really were like, man, she has lost the plot. She's taken a step back. This is not good. We wanted to, you know, I need to see something, do something. And the, you know, the pressure, I think, got to her in a good way to where her, uh, you know, her, 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 uh, fall was just superb. Um, but I don't, I think that was the exception, not the rule. And I think now with the faster court on Australian, uh, soil, this, uh, now tilts in favor of the other three women. Um, Sabalan Rabakina was last year's final. It was the best women's match I saw all year last year. Um, it was absolutely unbelievable. Um, and Sabalenka succeeding in the face of kind of a career, you know, kind of marred by double faults was, uh, was pretty, um, was pretty amazing. Now, <clears throat> Sabalenka to me does not look to be in as good a form this year as she was last year heading into that tournament. Uh, Rabakina completely undressed her, uh, at the, um, in the final last week in Brisbane. In fact, that was like, that was like a shockingly lopsided result. Um, and I, I had, I had a feeling going in there, like talking to some of our other handicapping friends like man how Rabakina plus one plus 150 feels very generous like this is a coin flip right and then you saw the first three you know three games play out and you're like oh it's not a coin flip at all this is one way traffic Rabakina like holy smokes uh and so that was a little bit eye-opening and it's tempting to kind of take that particular result and put Rabakina as your second choice now over Sabalenka. Um, although Rabakina is not, you know, she, they're, they're going to have relatively uh, similar draws. Uh, Sabalenka will be your Q2, uh, you know, excuse me, your, your, your Q4 uh, top seed is your overall number two. Rabakina is your overall number three. We don't know if she's going to be on the top or bottom. Um, but what I will, what I will say is um, because it's a three horse race, Right. That means there's going to be an imbalance in the draw. We don't know if Rabakina is going to be on the top or the bottom. Yep. Right. And if she's on the top and she's got to play in, then Iga has to beat Rabakina and Sabalenka. That makes Iga longer odds. If Rabakina is on the bottom, then Iga only yep. has to beat one of those two. Then Iga is the clear choice to win. So the draw is going to really control a lot of my kind of final thoughts about who of these three women uh, is the right value play at, at price. Uh, you know, so basically like in the moments after the draw, there's going to be a, a feeding frenzy of betting <laughs> just based on where Rabakina lands top or bottom. This is Rabakina is going to be on the bottom and that you're going to get an, uh, an Iga Rabakina final. That's, that's the most likely outcome here. It's worth kind of focusing, I guess, a little bit on what Iga's done, right? So Iga broke through at the French Open, right? She's a good clay player. This is shouldn't shock anyone who follows tennis. Like she's the best women's clay player in the world, and there's a margin, right? Um, any year she doesn't win the French Open is a bit of a surprise at this point. Um, the uh, the conditions at the Australian Open are at the other polar end of the spectrum to Roland Garros in terms of speed, in terms of skill set, it takes to succeed here. Uh, and it's worth kind of zeroing in on what Iga did after Wimbledon last year, where she definitely made a couple of clear changes to her style of play and her approach uh, to be a more effective hardcore player. It didn't result in a U.S. Open win. Um, but she was, uh, I thought, uh, very, very effective at holding serve uh, when she could get her first serve in. Her second serve was a massive liability still, but uh, you know her hold um, break numbers shifted to where you know you looked at Iga's 
like like her statistical profile for the first three years she was a force and she was like she was capable of breaking on any on any given uh return game uh and on any surface in any conditions in any weather like it was amazingly uh impressive how effective she was in the return game but she was using too much energy in the return game and she was you know costing herself a little bit i think uh in the long run by kind of being on you know being so aggressive on return and she's kind of become a more uh i think predictable and, and you know lo- uh, more longevity more endurance uh in terms of kind of focusing on her serve uh and making that a bit stronger while being aggressive at the right times in return <laughs> and i think this made her a more well-rounded player i think it's made her a better player and i think ultimately she's the bet for this tournament i just want to know that she's only going to have to play one of rabakina and sabalenka um and <clears throat> i think if Coco Goff is your other semifinalist and it's Iga versus Coco in the semifinals, that's not a very fair fight. On these conditions, Iga should be able to, you know, absolutely play her off the court. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you, maybe you get a, a battle weary, uh, winner of Sabalenka Rabakana in the final. And then, and then that's that. So that's kind of the shape of the women's draw. Um, Iga clear number one yeah. choice, Rabakana number two, Sabalenka three. And then there's a gap. Coco got fourth, and then there's a big gap, and then there's everyone else. Yeah, that's the thing—a bit big disparity there. Um, that draw on Thursday is going to be key then, because I think Rybakina beat Sriontek in at the fourth round last year. Which, yeah. um, I, I, as I was writing my piece yesterday, I say it's 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 it's, um, <laughs> it's disappointing for her, but it's not exactly a massive shock that that can happen. And yeah, it's just got to be um, lucky with that draw and. Um, to just to at least make the semi-finals and see what goes from there. Yep, I agree. And I would say Rabakina, she was she always had Iga's number, right? Like I don't know why, but like her her style, her mentality, like she's not afraid of her, uh, and that kind of makes her a little bit more dangerous challenger for Iga. Um, but uh, if if it is coming on the heels of a really physical long match in the semifinals against Sabalenka then that does level things. It actually tilts them in favor of Ego, in my opinion. That, yeah, so obviously here it's kind of, we, we, we sort of said it's going to be out of that, 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 that big three at the top there. Um, just a few other players I wanted to mention that, that could, you never know, wipe out um, a top seed. Um, like I, I had a little look, at, for instance, when Sophia Kennan beat Goff in like the first round of Wimbledon last year and things like that. Um, Obviously, you've got Naomi Osaka, who's we're not really going to know too much about what how she's going to come in, but just purely because of her pedigree, um, if she could pick off someone in the first couple of rounds, then that could shake things up. And someone that I wanted to mention was Alina Svitolina, who Goff beat in that final in Auckland last week, and I feel like she might be able to knock out a few. Top season because I think she knocked out someone. Let me have a look. Um, where I, yeah, made made like the French Open last eight, Wimbledon last four last year. I think she did. So, um, as much as yeah, I, I personally myself, like you said, that top three is sort of set. One of them will probably be the winner. Will come from there. I do feel like there's some there is there is some sort of value in sort of looking at that draw and. Where there there might be some slip ups, yeah. um, like, like Jessica Bugula for some, 
for instance, is is somewhat is is a player that's sort of been around that conversation of is she going to break through at some point and, and get to that uh, get to a final. But um, yeah, just interested to hear your thoughts on anyone that could that could really make that breakthrough. Yeah, I think really that whole next tier. Uh, one of the reasons that there is as big a gap as I think there is is that there, you know, all all of those players are likely to step on a banana peel. Um, Pagula may be the least likely, I guess. Um, you know, she definitely has pedigree. Uh, she's not uh, necessarily. <laughs> I mean, she shouldn't be discounted. Uh, but I, I'd be I'd be uh, a bit surprised if she <clears throat> could take out any of the top four. Um, and then the other ones absolutely are upset, upset alert. Ons Jabor, upset alert. Marquetta Von Drusova is on upset alert. Maria Sakari, upset alert. Uh, and then the whole next tier, uh, Krachikova, uh, Beatrice Haddad Maya, Yelena Stepenko, Samsonova. My goodness, Samsonova's form has completely eroded. Uh, Daria Kas- Kasatkina, uh, Kudermatova, Caroline Garcia, Alexandrova, Azarenka. All of those players are, are, um, you know, potential early exits, as far as I can tell you from what I've seen recently, recent form. Uh, Zheng Xin Wen, uh, of China, who's your 12 seed is a player that I always have ranked higher than the, than the market. Um, and I could see her making a final eight. Uh, you mentioned Ilina Svitolina. She can absolutely make a final eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other two that will round out the final eight, I honestly could be, um, just total wild card surprises. Uh, you mentioned Osaka, who I would be genuinely surprised. Uh, you know, there, there are some players with success at the slam level who are making returns, uh, including Angie Kerber, uh, Tom Janovich and uh, Osaka in this one and, and Radicanu actually. Um, and all, th- all four, I would say, yeah, maybe they can be yeah. spoilers yeah. early in this tournament, knock out a seated player, but it would be genuinely surprising if they were in the final eight. Um, the withdrawn players, Mukova, Keys, Kvitova and Benchich, those are all players who I would guess could succeed here, but will not be part of the action. So uh, the door is wide open. Um, if I'm going to make my, I mean, I'll have to have to stake my reputation on who's going to be in the final eight. Zheng Xinwen, Svitolina, um, <laughs> I think uh, Mira, Mira, yeah. Mira Andriva. Dan, Dan, remember Dan sort of mentioned last year, he, she was like, he said uh, the traders are running scared of her because she's someone that's um, <laughs> s- sort of surprised that she's that far up. But she also is um yeah obviously a, like a live threat you could say to some of those players yeah she fits the very specific mold of we don't know what her ceiling is uh it could be number one <laughs> like world number one mm-hmm. it is very possible uh and when you have a player yeah. who has uh, on the uh, you have a player on the women's side again where you have best of three, which is a little bit more chaotic, and you don't know exactly what their ceiling is, uh, that open-ended distribution makes it very scary to price. <laughs> I completely get it. Uh, and I think Andriva, um, you know, she has, you know, cause she's a young and experienced player. She's got ups and downs. Uh, she doesn't really have any wins that like make you kind yeah. of stand up and be like, wow, like she beat a player of that quality. How in the world? It's mostly that like the wins she's got are just, you know, dominant thumping of players who are kind of in the middle class. Right. And that, that's so it, it's telling in some way, uh, mm-hmm. that she does clearly have, um, uh, you know, she, she does pretty clearly have a, uh, uh, a high floor. 
Um, but we don't really know what the ceiling is. Can she beat a, a Aniga? Can she beat a Goff? Can she beat a Sabalenka? It remains to be seen. Uh, last year at the French Open, I believe she ran into Goff in round four. And the betting market flipped her from small dog to meaningful fave and yeah. golf took care of business. Um, so it's, it's kind of yet to be seen if, if Andreeva can do it at the, you know, at the highest level. Um, but there's enough quality of her destroying women at the lower level that I think you have to kind of be, you know, you have to, you, you just have to be respectful that it could happen at any time. Um, she was dominant in three rounds in Brisbane uh, against lo- lesser competition. Mm-hmm. Actually, I say I say lesser competition. She just completely embarrassed Ludmilla Samsonova, uh, who obviously has uh, you know kind of won some pretty impressive uh, t- you know, tennis in her time. Um, but then she lost to Linda the Noskova uh, in the uh, quarterfinals, yeah. and Noskova is a, is a good player. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I don't think any of us hold kind of the ceiling for Noskova anywhere close to what we expect Andriva to ultimately get to. Um, I will kind of note uh, her. She had a very close call in Beijing last October against Rabakana uh, when Rabakana was playing quite well. Um, she lost to Lila Fernandez in Hong Kong, which was a disappointment. Uh, but uh, yeah, Andriva is definitely someone to watch. She could make the final eight. And then I guess I'll, I'll, so I'll round off my top eight with, uh, uh, we'll say Zhang gets there. Uh, Svitolina gets there. I'll put Pagula in the mix and then we'll put Andriva uh, uh, eighth. There we have it. There we have it. Um, just before we, we then round off then, um, are we, um, betting against, uh, against the field rather than Shriontech, but betting with the field rather than Shriontech, um, here or? Is it, uh, eagers to, to sort of win from your perspective? So my literally finger hovering over the button, the yes, no market, Rubakana on top field, Rubakana on bottom. Ega. Mm. <laughs> that's kind of the name of the game as you're watching the draw live and it'll be early in the draw because that'll be the first uh, that'll be the first thing you know uh where is rubakana so um yeah it's it's uh it's i i you know and I, again like i want to be i i think ultimately i do think ego wins this title She's made enough positive changes to her game over the last four months that I think uh, she's going to be extremely tough to beat here unless she just runs into the wrong woman on the wrong day who's playing out of their minds, right? Like that, it's going to take a special effort to defeat her in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Rabakana has that level. I know Sabalenka has that level. Uh, I suspect there's, you know, there's, there are very few other women that I think can match that level at this tournament. So, um, you know, the, the yes, no on Iga's kind of comes down to, yeah. uh, I want to, I, I want a little bit of no at price. If she has to go through Rabakana and Sabalenka both. And I want, yes, if she's only got to play one of those two. Perfect. Perfect. Nice little round up to round off the podcast. Unless you've got any, uh, sort of final thoughts, Drew, we happy to sort of, uh, bring this first advantage betters of 2024 to an end and thanks drew for uh, coming on where can anyone everyone follow you on socials across the two weeks yeah so everything that i work on goes out via my twitter profile which is at whale underscore capper uh and uh yeah I'll, I'll be up in the middle of the night watching some tennis i'm trying to get my i'm trying to get myself uh tuned to the <laughs> clock so that i can uh watch some of these high leverage matches um and uh yeah very very excited to to be betting australian open again all odds discussed are correct at the time of recording 
that's all from us and we'll be back again before the French Open in May. Thanks for listening to Advantage Betters.